podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. All right. So, yeah, this is the Talking Tactics Podcast. What's up, guys? My name is Daniel. You. <laughs> you should know by now that means it's the kid, 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 it's the kid. They know who it is, man. It's your, it's your boy, HH, man. Guys, you, you, know, you know what it is. You know what, 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 what time I it is. I still can't believe you're out here on Al Gore's internet, on Jay-Z's internet, on John Cena's internet in 2019, and you're still calling yourself HH. That's crazy. Yeah, you got more guts than sense, my friend. HH man, hundred percent. Can't be saying that stuff. Anyway, anyway, you? anyway, we yeah. we do this podcast every H Tuesday. Remember to follow us on the social medias. Twitter is the main one. Um, you can also remember to follow on SoundCloud if you're listening over there. Hit the hearts. Remember to subscribe if you're listening. No, we can do it that way. Remember to follow on Spotify if you listen that way. Shout out to you. And uh, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star review, and we will read on the show. We got one this week from somewhere in Great Britain. Guy said, great podcast. Can't lie. I really love these podcasts. I used to watch them on YouTube, but it's much more practical and enjoyable listening on Apple Podcasts. Keep up the great work, HH. And Chelsea ain't sniffing that CL semis, okay? And also, what are your predictions for Europa Top 4? Also, can Aubameyang finally be considered world-class is he not the best striker on form in the world right now? Predictions on Europa. I'll pass on that one. Top four. What are your quick predictions for top four, Double H? For me, I, th- I think watch out for FC Porto in the Europa. Um, top four, we already know one and two. Um, Arsenal will get in there. And, bro, I'll go out on a limb and I'll just say uh, Chelsea. Did Europa. you drop Spurs out of your top four? Yeah. Wow, big call. We can get to Aubameyang later because we're going to start with the mm-hmm. terrible match that we just watched. So, yeah, just, just remember if you're listening on, on Apple Podcasts, subscribe. It's free. Leave us a five-star review. We'll read on the show. Thank you very much for that five-star review. Much appreciated. Uh, glad you liked the show. So, we're doing this podcast a bit late because we wanted to watch Arsenal play Manchester United. That was kind of pointless. I thought it might have been a good game, but it ended up being kind of trash. So, half hope I'll just get your quick thoughts on, on what we just watched. Trash. Complete <laughs> trash. Um, that's, that first half is the worst 45 minutes I've seen this season. Horrible. And I think, as someone said on one of the comments, we have to stop hyping up these setting games based on what we saw of them like eight, seven years, years ago. Mm-hmm. These are different teams in different times. There is no point in hyping up this as a big game. It's no longer a big game. So it's not... Because these teams are obviously not very good, and they're not of of a, of a high standard. Those I mean, it, it was horrible, like, and it's just so scary because this is supposed to be two teams top tier of football, and this are the two of the biggest clubs in the world based on just pop, pop popularity, fan base, in the world to produce football like that. In that, so in our first half is scary and frightening, scary and frightening. A really, really bad game of football. I finished watching that game going, why have I done this? It's my day off and I watch not top six football for a living nowadays. Why am I watching not top six quality level of football on my day off? What's this? It's nonsense. Arsenal were a good to Champions League level quality squad being held back by a manager who's not good enough. Manchester United are an incredibly poor squad being managed by a complete unknown as a manager who isn't particularly qualified for this thing. And it was just a boring game where no one ever 
no one seems to have any idea what they want to do outside maybe what there were four world class or world clubs possible individuals on that pitch. So what De Gea, Pogba, Oba, um <laughs> That's it, bro. Daniel James. No, Daniel, Daniel James is not in your world. Linda Love. No. I'm to... It's it, man. This is the Jack. Gwen Doozy will be Champions League quality very soon, but it, just a complete dearth of quality, dearth of imagination. Uh, the goals were a long range shot by Scott McTominay and then uh, an officiating disaster that had to be overturned by VAR. It was awful. But having watching, watching that, so obviously this weekend everyone saw Leicester City put five past Newcastle, and there's been loads of conversation about how. Brendan Rodgers being is underrated and X Y Z and how this Leicester side can make in the top four. And I was on Totally Football Show this morning. I said, "No, Leicester will probably finish top, can finish seventh or maybe sixth, but I don't think they'll finish in top four because I don't think they have enough squad depth." Having watched United Arsenal, I'm like, "Yo, Leicester are finishing fourth. If Leicester finish in the top six, it's not because Leicester are good. It's because the fifth and sixth teams are garbage. Which, at the moment, I have more faith in Arsenal fixing things because they just need." a better plan and to stop playing Xhaka. Whereas in United, you take Paul Pogba out of that team, they're not they're not European quality and they're going to slog through that churn of a Europa League season. They're going to be playing loads of th- Sunday games. It's really bad. It's really, really bad. You know, someone asked, can Leicester get back into the Champions League above United and Chelsea? It was Mason Boris. And my first instinct is to be like, no, of course not. But then... I think back, like, the last time I doubted Leicester, they won the Premier League. So now we're just asking them to be better than sloppy Chelsea and horrible United. They don't have Myers or Kante, man. Come on, bro. But still, no, but they have, I'm not going to say they have a better team, but they have a team that could that can compete with, like, the bottom third of the top six. So, yeah, like, I'm just thinking, like, the last time I said Leicester can't do it, West Morgan was lifting the Premier League trophy. So I'm not going to do that again and say it can't happen or it won't happen. It's like it's very possible. With this question was asked from us, I think someone sent in the question like a few weeks ago where can Leicester City make the top four? Will they make the top four? They can make the, the top four. I don't think they will make the top four. But how useless United are, Tottenham just being, you just never know. I will still say that like you know, Leicester City are finishing above United. That has to happen. But for me, even as uneven Tottenham are, they just have goal scorers. You know, they just have reliant, consistent goal scorers in that team. And I think that will just be enough for them just to go ahead of Leicester City, you know, so. Because that game was just so trash. I mean, we could talk about VAR, but we've done that to death. So you can go back to the past shows and listen to that. Just jump straight into this, especially while we have Carl here, because I want to get into his article that he wrote for The Athletic. Pack the Mouse says, not trying to sound biased, but is the Bernardo incident being blown out of proportion? Pep and the club haven't handled it well at all, but if Bernardo gets a six-game ban, what does it say when real racist incidents go hardly unpunished and tossed out the window, i.e. Jay Rodriguez? Before you go, Carl, I think Have Hope sent a link to us that Bernardo sent something to the FA that said it wasn't as bad, and Benjamin Mendy put like an addendum in whatever they sent that, yo, I didn't feel any offense by it. So maybe that's where this question is coming from. So first of all, Pac-Mouse, you talked about real racism. What, what is real racism? 
Right. It's 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 one of those terms I hear every now and again. Let's let's get the real racist racist stuff. Right? No, it, there's no real racism and fake racism. There's no I can't believe it's not racism. Margarine racism. <laughs> I can't believe it. I, I was thinking I can't believe it's not butter. <laughs> no. Racist incidents happen and they occur on a spectrum. And it's very important that we talk about all of them because then you properly understand the cause, function, and use of racism. Because if you only go after the big, big, big things of racism, the, the monkey chants or or managers saying they don't want to pick black players or someone saying a black player has no brain or two black centre-backs can't play together, two black strikers can't play up together. If you only talk about that, you never really address the subtle undermining stuff that can really, really affect you on a, on a day-to-day basis. Now, what I wrote in this article was, I went, I'm going to be extremely gen- generous to Bernardo Silva. I don't think Bernardo Silva is a racist, but I also believe Bernardo Silva, what Bernardo Silva did was racist, right? So there's a difference, right? There's a difference between what Bernardo Silva did, which is he's made a very, very private joke in a very, very public space. There's a difference between doing that and doing what Peter Beardsley did at Newcastle, which is called Black Players Monkeys all the time. Like One is making a private joke to your friend that you probably shouldn't do in a place where everyone can see it. And the other thing from the dude at Newcastle who's been banned is a workplace violation. Like, he's a workplace hazard. If you're calling black football players monkeys, you are a danger to black football players uh, on the training ground. What Bernardo Silva's done is made something everyone's like, yo, what? Uh, Manchester City has handled this really, really, really badly. From Pep Gardo's two defences to... Kick it out. They they wore kick it out, man. They did wear kick it out. Kick it out cannot comment on this thing right now because it's still being formally investigated, but I'm leaving a pregnant pause there so you can come up to your own conclusions, kick it out, are, are not best pleased with what happened. Right. All, all Manchester City had to do was go, Bernardo Silva made a joke, he took it too far, we apologise, and he'll be dealt with internally. And no one would have batted an eyelid. I think I think if, if Pep said he made a joke, these boys make jokes sometimes and sometimes they take it too far, and, and Bernardo, sorry for what he did. It will be explained to him that why he shouldn't have done that. I think everyone like, yeah, cool, sound, pro- no worries. But it's the fact that Pep Guardiola has come out and said that Bernardo Silva speaks six languages and is, is really open-minded, which is this really annoying thing about how apparently if you read loads of books, you can't be racist. That racism <laughs> is racism is only there is only for the unintelligent people. Where Yo, that's some of the some of the nastiest, most disgusting racist stuff I've ever seen in my life has come from people that have master's degrees, have PhDs, yep. have, that can Fair speak three or four or five languages, right? Do you guys right? know who um, Francis Galton is? I do not. He's like He was the cousin of um, Charles Darwin. He lived in, I guess, the 1800s or whenever they were alive and stuff. It's Sir Francis Galton, if anybody looks it up. This guy was like, one, he's like a polymath, like one of the most brilliant men of his time. And he was the one that came up with like eugenics, basically. I remember I read this thing where he was like, East Africa shouldn't be for the Africans. We should give it to the Chinese. So he was like one of those real like early racists. <laughs> and, but, but by all accounts, he was like a sir. He was like a knight or whatever they do. And like one of the most brilliant people of the time. This is one example that comes to mind of like a brilliant person. But just because you're smart, doesn't like people always have this idea like it, it's if you ever watch like a comedy set and a comedian wants to be like a racist, they'll do like. Uh, like a country backwoods voice, 
But for me, the more insidious part of racism is like the action, like the people who you might envision as being smart or intelligent, like they're the ones that you really have to look out for. No, 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 no. From, from, I say I have firsthand experience of going to school in England with guys who went on to Oxford, Cambridge, Masters degrees, and these are the guys that were the most racist, the most poshest upper class people. These were the guys that were were the most racist towards me. So yeah. Pep said, let me read this. He said, Bernardo is absolutely not guilty because his intention was incredible. He was going to say, I think he, I think he was going to say incredible. His intention was incredible. But he said, it was just a joke. It's a cartoon and related. The face is quite similar. Put it the same. Happens a thousand million times with white people. You know, it's the same. <laughs> just If you watch his press conference, it's just like... This is something we talked about like in the past, but if you're not qualified, just say I don't know. Yeah, just shut up, man. Just or or up. best case, speak in your native language. Like get a translator out. That way you can discuss this in Spanish. Because maybe something was lost in translation that he was trying hmm. to say, but it didn't come out right. Because this is his, I don't know, fourth language or something like that. That was a bit weird when I heard it. But what, what we wanted to talk about, I think, was John Barnes. That's what your article was about, Carl. So I want to get into that if if we could. I wrote how at three o'clock in the afternoon, I mentioned to a workplace, I mentioned to a colleague that this Bernardo Silva situation is getting out of hand. And I went, all we're waiting for now is John Barnes to appear on Sky News and say something. And at 6 p.m., there's John Barnes in his kitchen talking about how it's not a real racist scenario and we need to get on with it. And actually the kid, the, the cartoon is quite cute and it does look like Mendy. Oh my, oh no, he didn't say that. He said the cartoon looks quite cute. Oh, but it's, a, it's, it's, it's a cute child. Because I refuse to look Oh my God, don't tell me he said that. Oh my Yeah, God. he said it, bro. Oh, he, said, he repeated it. He said it more than once. I was going to say, yo, he's switching up the venues in his house. He was in his bedroom. He's in his kitchen. He's going to be in his bathroom. <laughs> He'll be on his front porch next time. But anyway, go ahead. Now, to, to reiterate this cartoon, this cartoon is from a peanut brand called uh, Los Conguitos, which translates to Little Congos. And it depicts a bald-headed black child with large red lips. And other depictions have the child in a loincloth and a spear. Did you just say little Congos? Yep. <laughs> what made their candy that? <laughs> oh, racism, man. That should be funny sometimes, man. Little Congos. <laughs> and the people <laughs> out here eating little Congos. That's crazy. Anyway, sorry. I wrote an article saying I am disappointed by the constant repetition of John Barnes, how John Barnes constantly is there on uh, TV and radio appearances talking about how a, a racist situation isn't racist. So we've got we've now got to a point where uh, racist, a racist incident will happen in football. Then you get people go, that's racist. Then you get people go, no, it's not. That's not real racism. And then you get the special final level where John Barnes goes, actually, it's not racist. And then the people that said it's not racist go, see, John Barnes said it's not racist, so you should, you can be quiet. Uh, and I went, this this final stage where John Barnes says something isn't racist makes my life harder. It makes my life harder both, one, as a, as a football journalist, because I'm having to explain stuff three or four times because everyone's going, but John Barnes said this. And two, as just a black man trying to live my life. Because now I just have those people go, John Barnes says this, so you should listen to John Barnes. So someone went, John Barnes lived with through racism in the 60s, so therefore I'm going to listen to him rather than you. 
To which I wanted to say, I lived through racism in the 90s and the 2000s. Why, why do you think John Barnes is more qualified to talk about racism than I am? You know, what, about what, what makes him more qualified? Racism was better. Racism was, what much, was much worse in the 60s. Which, what he's, is, which is interesting because John, one of John Barnes's points is racism has never improved. So the thing about John Barnes is he, he speaks with this very, very muddled theory where uh he he he's also used this term called real racism um way so he told Jaden Sancho that if Jaden Sancho feels so bad about going to Montenegro and getting monkey chance maybe he should go to the inner city parts of London where there's no jobs no education hopes uh, 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 and and work as a cleaner and therefore you can understand what real discrimination is to mm. which you want to to which you want to go one so Jaden Sancho is not saying that his life is easy because he's got money like money is no protection to racism like you can pretend it is, and my dad. You know, there are many uh, black capitalists that believe that if you have enough money, somehow you can shield yourself from racism. We've been on this podcast before talking about this certain man talk saying, "If you're going to be a coon, be a tycoon." Um, <laughs> I can't. That's still an egregious bar. Um, but when Jaden Sancho says, "What Jaden Sancho says," racist chanting at football games makes me sad. What he's saying is, I cannot do my job because I'm getting racist booing. I don't. That's real racism. Where if I've said this before in this podcast, talking about Marcus Rashford, if I don't send an email to my boss at work, he's not going to call me the N word because that's a workplace violation. If he does, I'm going to ring up HR. If if Marcus Rashford misses a penalty, someone's on the internet is going to call him a crispy, crunchy, crackety this, and he might see it. Someone's got to take out that internet person or or like reprimand the internet person or reprimand the guy in the football stand that's calling Raheem Sterling an effing black effing. These are all real racism. And this idea that Jaden Sancho doesn't know what real racism is because he's got money. Jaden Sancho is 19 years of age. He grew up in London. He knows what real racism is. What are you talking about? Very, very disappointing. Uh, mm. And John Barnes is talking about how there's a there's a ruling class of black elites that do nothing to help black people in the streets, to which uh, it has been pointed out that John Barnes has never been at a kick-out meeting. I've not seen John Barnes at uh, community events for black people within black football. And whatnot. Mm. Uh, when you point out that Lillian Thoram this month has been in Uganda helping out refugees, when John Barnes has been in various TV studios talking about how Paul Pogba <laughs> needs to get over racism, Jaden Sancho needs to get over racism, and Marcus Rashford needs to get over racism, uh, there are black people. There are there are there are black elites or or black people who, who have who have money or means and, and uh, have some form of cultural capital or heft that have that and don't do anything for, for the black community. There are those black people. There are also black people that do a lot, both behind the scenes and very openly. So John Barnes mentioned a, a gentleman called uh, Darren Lewis, who he said, Darren Lewis, he, he's got a very good life now because he does gossip columns and he's on Sunday Supplement. I don't want to be like Darren Lewis because Darren Lewis isn't doing much for the black community, to which... It has been pointed out, well, many people have been in contact with John Barnes going, Darren Lewis has been at the Daily Mirror for 20 years. He is one of the godfathers of UK journalism, if you're a black journalist. And he has very has talked about having an open door policy with any black journalist who needs help. He has worked with BCOMs and whatnot. Uh, if you think Darren Lewis isn't helping black journalists, you're not paying attention. But because John Barnes wears a blazer, wags his finger about and speaks really quickly, uh, a certain demographic of people on the internet believe he is spot on and speaks common sense about racism. <laughs> I have hope you got any thoughts? 
No, no, for me, no. I think, no, Carl pretty much hit all the points. But I think the key point is, I think, something that we touched upon, must have been like a month ago or something. What is John Barnes known for the best with regards to racism? It's him backheeling the banana peel. I think even Carl even made the point that, what does that image mean? It means that John Barnes wasn't facing up to racism. He was brushing it aside to try to rise above it, something that white people love, i.e., please don't make me feel guilty. Please don't make me have to face up to racism. Just be a coon that I can sort of walk with. We look at what Boateng did. Boateng, with racism, he walked off the pitch and he gave a speech at the at the UN, saying this is something that needs to happen. Jason Raw Roberts, he kept on going and going, speaking and speaking and speaking. John Barnes, after you've killed out Banana Peel, what have you done with regards to racism? What fights have you done? When Balotelli, um, Kevin Prince, Butter, all those guys, once were suffering racism, where were you? Where, where, where was your voice? So why the bloody hell should I have to sit down and listen to anything that comes out of your mouth? Like, as I said again, like, as of right now in 2019, John Barnes is one of the people I hate the most. You know, like, they're just, just, just what he does just pierces so deeply into me that I'm like, you know, just, I have such, you know, disdain. For, for him. And it's just very sad. Very, very sad. You know? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we talked about this in the extra today about how, like, the there's a there's an issue in the Black community, I think, where the people who are put to the forefront aren't always the most educated. And not to say you can't speak about this and you got to have, like, a PhD or something like that. But and, and I think even at the end of your article, Carl, you were like, who's educating him? It was almost that point that we made where, like, why is it that athletes and entertainers are the ones that always speak on the behalf of black people? And it's maybe like, you know, in a white supremacist, racist society, the people who get elevated from the black community tend to be people who it's almost undeniable, the talent. So, you know, a footballer, basketball player, you can sing really well, whatever the case may be. It's almost like, okay, like we'll let you in. And then once you let those people in, they become the spokespeople for the community. But who's vetting the views that these people have and then, like, why are they always the ones that are put on the forefront? So, like, I'd rather much have a doctor of sociology that happens to be black speak on the uh, speak on the behalf of black people rather than, yo, John Barnes, he's the most famous black English footballer of all time. Let's let him come on and say whatever he says. And if he knew what he was talking about, that would be good. But to say, like, the chocolate candy was cute and looks like N'Golo Kante and looks like Benjamin Mendy, so... It's okay because it's similar? Like, come on, man. <laughs> like, you're not qualified really to be speaking on what you're speaking about. So that's that's one of the most annoying things for me. It's like, why is he speaking for black people like that? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't approve. Basically, John Barnes doesn't speak for me. And then did, did did you guys watch the video that I put in the in the WhatsApp where like there was a racist dude that was like well, if somebody if somebody put Kevin De Bruyne in this white cartoon, you guys wouldn't say anything or boop, boop, boop. And then somebody was like, it's not the same. And then you click the article that the dude links, and it's John Barnes says tweet to Benjamin Mitty isn't racist. So, like, people are weaponizing his comments. It's, it's, it's a mess, man. It's a mess. So the idea of 24-hour news cycles and, and, and talk radio and debate television when you're having a debate, John Barnes has now carved out a niche or... He's carved out a space where certain broadcasters know if something racist happens and they want a black person to say it's not a big deal, they can call up John Barnes. 
the worst, man. I hate those people. And that, <laughs> that's, that's really sad, right? If I can predict John Barnes is going to appear on TV saying something's not racist, right? That's, I, I can predict, I, I predicted someone defending racist behavior. Oh, um, yeah, he's going to, um, all I have to do now is wait for John Barnes to say, this isn't racist. And then two hours later, he did it. Like, it's predictable. It's tired. The fact he did one of the conferences from his bedroom, you're just like, you're not even saying this with your chest anymore. This is just <laughs> sad. Yeah, it's like if he was actually speaking what he should be saying, which is uncomfortable truths. And this is this is the last point I'll make on it. It's like he ha- he has a point in that you know when he brings up you know society's racist, boo, 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 boo. like okay, like that is a truth, but the way that you present it is wrong. Like he presents it as if nothing can be done about it. And then he'll say it without backing it up with anything that really, I think, makes people question their role in it. So he almost absolves you by telling you the truth. And it's a very... It's not even, it's not even an almost absolves. He completely absolves people. Yeah, and when he that's, says it's we, a very when dangerous he says, thing because if he was actually saying what he needed to say and make people look inward and question perhaps their own role in what's transpiring in society, they're not letting him on... Sky Sports, BBC, Talk Sport, like you wouldn't allow that type of rhetoric to be spoken. If, if in my opinion, if you're an institution like that, you wouldn't want somebody coming on and challenging, you know, ninety-eight percent of the British populace with their own role in the white supremacist system. You wouldn't want that to happen. But because John Barnes comes on and says, "Ah, there's nothing we can really do about it," they'll just put him on in his bed in his pajamas. He'll be eating, I don't know, watermelon next time we come on. Like, just kudari and bufudari. I don't know what he's going to be doing next. But it's just, it's it's very dangerous, I guess. Not I guess. I know it's dangerous. Because you, he's twisting the truth in a way that's, I think, malevolent. But well, I'm not going to say he's being malevolent. But I just think he's muddled in his thinking. He says a lot of points that make sense in minute one. And then he talks to minute five. And I go, what are you talking about? Hmm. Uh, and, and like you said, he 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 does absolve. Uh, so I'm going to do right now something I did for the article, which I just you search John Barnes spot on. So a lot of a certain demographic <laughs> like to say John Barnes is spot on. So I'm I'm just going to go through Twitter and say John Barnes spot on. Um, <laughs> it's a very British statement. John Barnes is spot on again, and the, and the presenter is spouting political nonsense. I wonder if Mendy had done this to De Bruyne. Uh, and a Milky Bar kid. Would anyone be asked? No, they wouldn't. Get in the bin. Never heard the John Barnes interview and holy shit, I'm agreeing with him. Never thought I'd say that in my life, but you spot on. Clap, clap, clap emoji. Those are white hand emoji claps. Um, <laughs> John, Barnes is, John Barnes is right. It's not for a white person to say what, it might, what might offend a black person. Therefore, what John Barnes says is right and a white man talking is not. John Barnes is correct about the lip stain. Absolutely spot on from John Barnes. If you think that post was in any way, or shape, or form racist, then you're delusional. The world has gone mad. None of these people are black. I would like to reiterate, none of these comments I'm reading are from black people. Spot on John Barnes. Sick of seeing all the drama about this today. A black man isn't defended, isn't offended, yet a white man is. And what's worse, he seems outraged that John Barnes isn't. Yet another, the world's gone mad moment. Wait, 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 wait but, but, but just very, very quickly, like, guys, doesn't, because, like, I'm just trying to, just help me, help me out here. Doesn't John Barnes sit down and realize that all the people supporting you are white? All the people supporting <laughs> you are black. No, no, please help me. Maybe I'm missing something here. Doesn't he realize that? Or what's... 
I don't know. Like, don't, like isn't, isn't it like don't don't we have people in our lives who we generally disagree with, and then like the one time that we agree on something, that's like a clue to you that you know I should probably rethink my opinion on this. So there are some people that I interact with on Twitter. We never get along. I say one thing and it gets a like. This person never says anything that I like, and I never say anything they like, but they like this comment. So that should tell me that I need to rethink this because we shouldn't be agreeing necessarily. So John Bond should be looking at this like, yo, BBC want me on, Sky Sports want me on, Talk Sport Radio, whatever the case may be. Like all of these, and then you just look on social media. He's on Twitter. All of these people agree with me. That should make him think like the right people aren't agreeing and the wrong people are. So I don't know why he's not looking at himself. It but, makes me but, but again, there's there's money in it apparently. So it, it makes me really, really sad. And I don't... <sighs> This is our, it's, I'm just sad. I'm sad. I'm sad about how predictable his reaction, how predictable his placement in the cycle of news reporting is. I'm sad that this situation that should have been dealt with in one day has progressed. I'm sad that Raheem Sterling has had to get dragged into it after oh, the Evan game and talk about it as well. I'm sad that so many people do not understand the difference between being racist and doing a racist action is a Tory Morrison thing. Like racism is a distraction. It distracts you from the work mm. you want to do. And when I said, so I wrote, I said, John Barnes makes my life harder as a black, as a black journalist. And so I went, how does it make your life harder? I, went, I don't want to be writing this piece. I don't have to write a piece about racism every single week. And yet I have to do that all the time because of the actions of people on the football pitch and the actions of football fans who refuse to understand what is going on and the actions of, John Barnes, like my my, what I was meant to do on that Thursday was research tactics so I can look at, so I could like scout something for the Southampton versus Tottenham game. But instead, I had to write about John Barnes, and it was so disheartening, right? Like John Barnes grew up in the sixties. He kicked away the banana. He was playing for Liverpool at a time where they were calling them where they were calling the team Niggerpool because he was there. He was one of the very first like high profile black football players to play for England. There was a point in John Barnes's international career where England beat a side 2-0 and John Barnes got one of the goals. And then one of the newspapers didn't mention that John Barnes scored one of these goals. Like he went through it. And when he was, and I'm not going to dismiss any of the racist abuse John Barnes went through. And that's what makes it really, really, really hard for me because John Barnes should not. It's painful to, to see a man who went through that sort of stuff, turn around and go to the next generation. Nah, get on with it. I, I went through it. You should get through it. Do you know what it's it's I don't want I don't know if it's similar, but it's it ma- it makes a correlation in my mind. Do you guys know who Jim Brown was? Or is oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 Jim Brown. With, yeah, Jim Brown. So like one of the people who was very forward thinking, one of the first black people to be a superstar in Hollywood, greatest NFL player at the time. Um, he was in the meeting with um like Kareem Abdul Jabbar and Bill Russell and Muhammad Ali and all those athletes in the 60s that were being very progressive. Um, in the civil rights movement. And now when you see him when he's older and he's like in Trump hotel shaking hands, it doesn't match. And may- maybe that's more stark that he was so on the right side on one hand and now he's kind of, you know, with Trump in that sense. But to, to see John Barnes kind of go through that struggle and then now in his later life, it's like kind of that live long enough to see yourself become the villain idea. We're, we're getting a bit far off the point and we've barely discussed any football today. Um, <laughs> but it's this, this, it's this idea of and this happens to all of us to an extent where something bad happened to you 
in a formative part of your childhood and or adolescence or, or young adulthood and rather than properly reconcile that you assume that is the way of the world and therefore when uh the next generation or a bunch of people that go through that don't experience that you react badly to it so uh, one really good example of this is uh we're all speaking as black men on this on this podcast i'll say this when you hear people say i can't wait to hit my kids teenagers and, and 20 year olds who joke about i don't have any kids but i can't wait to beat my kids that is that was funny that was funny to say when you're like 15 16 17 18. and then you get a bit older and, and realize like why do i want to beat my kids that i don't have yet and you think about it right because you and i i've discussed this thing with my therapist like why why did i why do i say this stuff like this and she she spelled it out and went because you got beat as a kid and it's no one's fault that you got beat as a kid it was it was and is viewed as a legitimate form of chastisement um for for the household you grew up in and it was i'm not going to say it's wrong or it's bad but it, it was not nice that i got beat as a kid when i did something wrong so my brain rather than deal with the fact that that wasn't nice just viewed it beating a child as acceptable so therefore i grew up and went the next generation after me has to go through it because i went through it mm. which is wrong that doesn't have to happen whatsoever right just because i got beat as a child doesn't mean my children have to get beat as children just because john barnes went through racist abuse in the 60s and 70s does not mean Jaden sancho just because john barnes had to kick the banana it does not mean Jaden sancho has to do it and i think we we're in this muddled place where you get older black people that sort of go, well, I went through it. So you have to go through it where, well, no, no, let me, let me, let me completely redo that character. I don't think it's older black people. I think basically you get this generational thing, every single generation where the one generation looks at the new generation. Went, no, I went through nonsense. You should go through nonsense. Um, I went through hardship, so therefore you have to go through hardship. This is, you know, baby boomers going, well, millennials just complain and they're lazy. I work 60 hours a week uh, and work my way up through the company, so therefore you should do it. You shouldn't change all the time. Where the millennials are going, no, like, it's really bad that you work 60 hours a week. That's not our fault. We're just saying no one should work 60 hours a week. And we're correct. No one should be working 60 hours a week. It's painful. John Barnes makes it makes me it makes me really sad, and there is a non-zero percent chance I'm going to have to meet that man um, before the end of the season, and I'll have to explain why I'm sad, and hopefully we can have a say it with your chest, bro. <laughs> hopefully we can have a little conversation. <laughs> How tall is John Barnes? Is he like a threatening, imposing figure? Because like Jim Brown, Jim Brown was like six two, so he's like a scary dude, but uh, you know. If you ever want to, there's some really good stories about Jim Brown from uh, Richard Pryor. There's some really good Richard Pryor sets about how Jim Brown is just, don't fuck with Jim Brown. <laughs> Yo, he threw a woman off a building. Yeah. This guy, oh. is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he threw someone off a building. Like, this guy was so choked. Jim Brown is his own story, man. It's a very interesting life, but this isn't that kind of football. So, all right. We got some questions. Let's just jump straight into questions. So this this should take some time. If Messi was injured for a whole season, on which team would you put your money to win La Liga? I asked this one first because, I mean, we watched Arsenal play Manchester United just now. It was a bad game. The Madrid derby was cheeks, if I can say that. It was it was pretty bad too. But if Messi was out, it's one of those two teams to win. Um, I'd give it to Real Madrid. Even with Hazard in his state? Mm. 
Atletico. I think Atletico just don't have that finishing power. So I just think that in those critical games, Real Madrid just have different makers, whether it's Vinicius, Lucas Vasquez, Bale, um, Benzema, and so forth. They just have a, a lot more game winners in their team than Atletico do. If, but, if Messi's injured all season, I think Atletico Madrid pull it off. They just have <laughs> they have a stronger balance in defence. Mm. Um, I don't know. They don't quite have the squad depth as uh, Real Madrid, but they have a better manager, um, a clearer game plan. I just have greater faith in them. And Jao Felix really does look a bit like the real deal. He looks like he's on the way to becoming the real deal, I should say. But Do guys... I don't think Messi's going to get injured for that long. It's foolish to count out, to, to bet against Messi, so I'm not going to do it. I was told not to say this theory about Hazard because it was stupid, but I'm going to say it anyway. Part of this I've said before, but the other one I haven't. So Hazard, maybe since 2014-15, hasn't been in like the best shape. At the 15-16 season with Mourinho, um, when Mourinho had that trouble, Hazard had the hip injury. I don't think he ever really got into like his peak physical condition since then. It's always been kind of a struggle. But he wears a dark jersey, so that kind of helps. And also, something I just realized, I was watching the game, and it was kind of the first time I'd watched Hazard with Madrid. And finding him on the pitch was difficult, but then I was like, ah, he wears number seven, which is it's strange to me to see Hazard in number seven. But then it made me realize, like, I remember when I was a kid, um, I've, I've always been kind of like on the bigger side. So I have empathy for Hazard <laughs> in that sense. But I remember they put me in like a number two jersey for basketball or a number. It was more like a T-shirt, but I wore like the number two T-shirt. And I, re- I wanted a, 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 like I wanted to wear 32, like 32 was my number. But they put me in the number two. And when I look back at the pictures, because I was so big as a kid, I'm still big now. The fact that I was wearing a single-digit number, it made me look way bigger than I was. So I think part of the problem here is, one, like, has this lack of professionalism. And two, he's wearing all white. And three, it's a single-digit number. (laughs) Um, Is Mares the most clutch African player in the world from Mason Boris? And someone asked, why don't we mention Mares being the best African player? He's won the most important trophy in Africa and has had a greater impact in the Premier League than Salah Mane and Aubameyang by Patrick Nkudu. So Mares obviously got that the the go ahead goal against Everton. This is coming off the back of him, you know, winning the Africa Cup of Nations with Algeria. So what do you think about Mares right now? Yeah, I mean for me it's for me put it this way. If we we, we take all three of them because I think Koulibaly has to be in that mix as well. But I think in terms of technical footballing ability, Mares is the best African in, in the world. Just on just footballing technicality, he's he, he's the best. And with regards to impact, there's an argument to be said because Salah obviously um, broke the goal scoring record, then got 2022 20, goals the following season. Mares led Leicester City to a flipping Premier League. Mm. That's huge. Like for me. That achievement for Maris is greater than anything that Salah or Mane have has done. Like Salah or Mane, Obama Yang, Kulibali haven't achieved what Maris achieved with Leicester City. And you could even argue what he helped achieve with Algeria as, as, as well. So I just think that in terms of achievements and what he's done, I think 
you know, something about myself and manage, but just if you're just talking football, pure for footballing, technicality and um, specifics, I, th- I think it's Maris. Because for me, like, when Maris first moved to City, I was like, okay, he's it, not really working and everything. Right now, he's le- legitimately putting better the silver on the bench. And when you're just looking at what he's doing in for this City team and the kind of football that he's playing, there's just, you see, because I would say that Simane is better than Salah because there's more to Mane's game. And but I think with Maris, it's similar to Mane because there's more to their game. But I just think that Maris's football is a lot more tighter and more technically um, refined than Mane's is. So that's why I just give Maris the nod of Mane. Koulibaly as well. He has to be in the conversation. Absolutely. Don't sleep on Koulibaly. I think people overlook Maris. One, because he, he doesn't play for a sub-Saharan African side. So we, we still live in a world where you're... Com- where our concept of African uh, is is largely informed by depictions of West Africa and and, and parts of East Africa, I'll say. Um, and two, because he's he's been, he's a squad player, right? Like, so I have to frequently remind myself how good Riyad Mahrez is because he only starts uh, fifteen to twenty games a season in a sixty-game season. He was he was phenomenal against Everton. He was he was involved in all three goals. Um, Pep Guardiola has mentioned how he came back from from Afcon having one AFCON, a different sort of player, uh, and doesn't look lost. But like, how much did Rian Maris go for Leicester to Manchester City for? 60? You remember that, see? Most people don't remember that. Like, Rian mm. Maris is one of the most expensive football players in the world, and most people just completely forget. Right? People forget, people sleep on Maris, and it's not his fault. It, well, it's not. It's no one's fault. People sleep on Maris because he's he is one of the best football players in the world, in Europe, in his position, but unfortunately, he does he plays maybe one in three games, and I think that's why everyone kind of forgets. Can we finally put to bed this KDB slash Pogba nonsense? It's clear no. to see De Bruyne is ahead and has been for some time. Pogba hasn't ever had a performance that compares to what Kevin De Bruyne did at the weekend in the FA Cup final last season against Spurs in the Champions League and many other games. I I bring up this question to say, I think he has eight assists already. And there's always someone, I think it, it might be De Bruyne is... from, from a few seasons ago and Fabregas, I think from 2014-15, that jumps out to this crazy assists total and then they never reach the 20 that Henri had. But something I want to add to that question is, do you think De Bruyne will pass Henri's assist record? So that's part of the question. If if De Bruyne can stay fit, he's breaking the record. So what he got, he's, he's, got, he's got eight assists in seven in seven games. He's got 31 games left. If he can stay fit, now, what last season's record was Eden Hazard, who got 15 assists, and that was you know being an incredibly ball dominant attacker. Um, it was mentioned by Michael Cox about how De Bruyne is working really well with the player who plays on the right side of Manchester City's attack. So if it's Bernardo Silva or Riyad Mahrez, or sometimes it's uh, Raheem Sterling, but that individual plays really really wide. And De Bruyne can get the ball to him nearly every single time. And the idea is they just open up a huge gap between the left back and the left centre back for which De Bruyne can either score himself again on the one-two or the low cross happens and blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, the only thing stopping De Bruyne from reaching 20 is uh, injury and or if some of those goals, if some of those assists end up being pre-assists or as we used to call them, passes. <laughs> <laughs> the Priuses. Do you guys watch hockey? Where they actually give like points for the pass before the pass? Or is this a strictly Canadian thing that I've I, noticed? I, I, 
Well, no, I used to, I, I, from, from time to time, I used to watch a bit of ice hockey, yeah. Yeah, so they give points to the pass before the pass. Or the pass before oh. the assist. All I would say, like, quality, amazing player. I, I need him to, to do it in a Champions League final, a European Championship final, or a World Cup final. I'm so mean with that, man. Like... <laughs> I need him to do it on the biggest stage. Otherwise, yeah. nah. Yeah. <laughs> it's so hard to get to those games. That he plays for Man City and Belgium, two top teams. Get it done. If if if, if you're that good, right? You he, he balled out in a in a champion, in a World Cup fi- semi final. He was great against France. What De Bruyne? What? No, no, that was Hazard. This is Hazard was superb in that semi final, but also De Bruyne was good. Yeah, uh, I think I think. In terms of when's De Bruyne done it on a big stage, you can go, well, here's him destroying Brazil in the quarterfinal. Yeah, Kevin, Kevin De Bruyne is, I'd say, he's definitely the best passer of the, of the ball in Europe right now. Mm. I'd say, well, I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't watched Luka Modric play football this season. I can't say this from eyeballs, but it's the best passer of the ball, both left foot, right foot, long passes. Um, it, it has been De Bruyne and Luka Modric. And I think De Bruyne has surpassed Modric now because De Bruyne is just a lot more mobile. Mm. Carl, this is an interesting one. I don't know if you know about this, but you might have a thought, or maybe you could explain it to me. Black Emoji says, do you think that European FAs had a hand in the Chinese FAs' decision to impose a 100% tax on the transfers of foreign players? Basically, if a player costs $60 million, the club would end up paying 120 You know about this? No, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> like, let's say... I don't know, Shanghai, Shenhua, somebody wanted to buy Paul Pogba for $200 million. They'd have, they'd have to pay 400 in like 100 in taxes. So they have to pay whatever they pay to the Chinese FA or Chinese government or whatever. So he's asking, do you think that Europe had a decision in that to basically detract Chinese clubs from taking their players? I have Maybe? no idea. And I, I don't know how you could prove that. And I don't know how, if even if they were trying to do it, I don't know how they would do it. Thoughts on Mason Greenwood and how good can he become? He's 17. Uh, we wouldn't be having this conversation if United weren't a shambles and if United hadn't sold Lukaku and loaned out Alexis Sanchez. Mason Greenwood is a talented, two-footed, 17-year-old. He should not be shouldering the burden of a team that wants to be in the Champions League. <laughs> and I don't want to overhype that gentleman. Gentlemen, he's a boy. He's he's gonna he turned, he, he, by the time this podcast goes out, he he'd have turned eighteen, and yeah, he he looks he looks very two footed, but he, he I'm not gonna say he's the new Michael Owen or the new this or the that. I will say he's just a talented teenager, and the fact that people are hyping him up says a lot more about how bad Manchester United are right now and how badly they need a good news story than it does about his talent. Forgive me for forgetting, but what was your stance on United selling Lukaku? They shouldn't have. Oh, man. They shouldn't have done it. Um, Lukaku is a good to great striker who is not working out at United, not because of Lukaku, but because of just how much of a mess Manchester United are. I said he's going to go to. I said he's going to go to Serie A and he's going to finish the season with at least twenty goals, and he will. He was going to. He's going to get twenty goals in Serie A this season, and he'll probably. Uh, be quite annoying in a very important Champions League game for Inter Milan. Um, but that, you know, Conte in Europe. These two, are, I'll, I'll give the double H. Um, panic time for AC Milan, double H from the only taps. Minimum eight years before they're relevant again. 
<laughs> I thought it was was it five years last week? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm winning. The lost of Fiorentina three one at at home. Ribery looking like you're damn good, but yeah, minimum eight years. Um, and do you realize that Benzema is top five on Madrid's all time scoring list from AJ Cole sixteen? Top five, you know. Jesus, he's good, man. He's he's he's, he's a good. Show and man this is with Ronaldo taking every free kick in sight, every penalty in sight. The team being constructed around Ronaldo for like nine years. This guy's still top five. So there you go. Last question. I'm gonna need this story to feature on Talking Tactics. Um, all right. Rhoda have allegedly used the money Chelsea sent them to pay Ugbo during his loan to pay the rest of their squad and not him. The club is in a somewhat troubled state at the moment at boardroom level. So Chelsea have a player on loan, and they took his wages to pay their squad instead of paying him. Interesting. Hmm. I don't know if it's more interesting than just that, but interesting cool. story, I guess, if anybody wants to look it up. Yeah, I think his name is Ike Ugbo or E.K. Ugbo or something like that. Um, so we have a few minutes. You guys want to discuss quickly the Champions League? Um, Bayern should beat Tottenham. Barcelona will beat Inter Milan. If Chelsea don't beat Lille, semis ain't happening. Uh, score draw between Bayern and Tottenham. I don't see many upsets going on. I will be watching Bayern, Tottenham, and I think that's going to be a two-two or one-one. The, the interesting there will be for Tottenham will be what are they going to do with Deli Ali? Because I don't know what Deli Ali's best position is. What is your opinion on this guy? Because I feel like I, I feel like two two years ago maybe he was like one of the stars of the new England that was coming up. Like him and Sterling were basically level in terms of in like people's perceptions and now he's just like some next guy he's not a bad player he's not a bad player he plays in a very unique you know Griezmann-esque position that Griezmann Dybala-esque position that's not quite uh, a central midfielder not quite a a number 10 Um, he'd be a second striker back in the day you know in the days of Burkamp and whatnot and I think Tottenham Hotspur don't have that space for him in their midfield now that uh, Moussa Dembele's gone so the strongest Tottenham Hotspur side, if you try and write down all the Tottenham players, I don't think Dele Alli fits in, in, in their first 11 anymore, which is no fault of his own. It's just sort of Tottenham's evolved a little bit and they don't have space to have Dele Alli, Harry Kane, Christian Eriksen and Harry Wings and Musa Sissoko and Ndombele and, you know, Lo Celso in there. That's, that's a lot. He was quite bad in the... Well, everyone in Tottenham Hotspur was bad in that League Cup defeat against Colchester. So he, I, he he didn't have a great he did not have a great season last season, but his play was better than he's like general play. His general I am a midfielder was better than he had ever been, but he did not get the goals or assist that to reflect it. And it's one of those weird things as as he grows up and becomes a better, more all rounded footballer, he might lose that element of what made him so exciting. It's it's almost a bit uh, teen Rooney to young Rooney. I mean, bear in mind, Deli Ali is still only 23, so there's plenty of time. Have hope. Overrated, just very overrated. Just <laughs> um, people, I think he has he has a lot of ability and everything, but there are just times when he's just he's not very consistent with regards to the role in which he plays and what he should be doing. Put it this way, we just, we just talked about him, De Bruyne. With De Bruyne, he's very consistent in the kind of production and effectiveness he gives within his role as being the playmaker and the guy pro- providing. For Dele Ali, who plays a similar sort of proper position, you don't consistently 
Daily Ali does not play in a consistent position to Kevin De Bruyne. No, no, no. I mean, but with regards to what is required of you. They're, no, they're, no, they're two different players. They're two different responsibilities there. Kevin De Bruyne plays as a, a, in that 3-8 num- role mm. where he he sits not quite in a number 10. He sits deeper than a 10 and higher up than a 6 and is told to spray balls wherever he wants and also dribble if he wants to. Dayali plays ahead of a 10 and behind a number 9. They operate in two very different areas of the pitch. They, they, yes, you want both of those gentlemen to, to get assists and score goals. But Kevin De Bruyne has has a different output, particularly in the defensive end, to Deli Ali, which is one of those things where the interesting thing is if Deli Ali started playing a lot more like Kevin De Bruyne, people would be disappointed that Deli Ali wasn't scoring goals in the same way he used to be scoring goals. Um, and here's the thing: Deli Ali is becoming a more well-rounded football player, but he's losing the 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 Griezmann-esque weird positional stuff, and that's not his fault. Like Dybala's going through the same problem as well, which is sort of where do I play? In in a time where football is all about playing on the transition and having very very clear specific roles, Deli Ali wants to play in this free role where he just sort of like flutters in behind Harry Kane, and that doesn't exist anymore because Musa Dembele isn't behind him to fix all the problems, or Christian Eriksen isn't next to him to to help uh, do some of the passing burden. Like if you took that, if you took Deli Ali, you put him in. Oh man, Deli Ali would have a lot of fun. At Liverpool, doing things that Oxley Chamberlain wants to do, but he's at, he's at Spurs, and Spurs are going through some transitions right now. Daley didn't become a bad player overnight; he just got injured, and also the positions changed. You you brought up that ball, and my brain went to Juventus for whatever reason. Could you guys have predicted Aaron Ramsey would have like played like this? Like, have you guys been paying attention any to Juventus? And the fact that like UA fans love Aaron Ramsey because like he runs a lot and he gets goals and all that stuff like obviously obviously, obviously he's being paid like a lot of money but I feel like if I wasn't so focused on how much he was getting paid and we actually talked about like what he could bring to the team instead of just like the insane amount of cash which I seemingly can't get over um, I think I could have predicted this it's just the basic case of Aaron Ramsey's a very good attacking box to box midfielder who struggles in the midfield too because he doesn't want to defend. So what do you do? Play him next to a defensive midfielder and he's really good. So, oh my God, you mean to tell me Aaron Ramsey's good because he's got Blaise Matuidi next to him? Lo and behold. Ramsey apparently is that good that sorry ball has been switched to like a kind of two-striker system or Ramsey in a false nine, whichever you want, whichever way you want to say. <laughs> Crazy. But I feel like I should have seen Uh-oh. this coming. Anyway, are we done? Can we go? I'm waiting for my groceries. This guy's late. I was about to say, like you said, you're going to be around for 30 minutes. Like I was like, the delivery dude is that late. What time is it? Damn near midnight. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Imagine getting groceries delivered. You just can't go to the store and get them, bro. I'm a big <laughs> man. Yo, like these services, like yo, we'll bring a hot dog to your door. Like I don't understand. Like you just can't go get it. Shut up, man. <laughs> <laughs> I want to you how to live your life. <laughs> just say it. I'm just saying. Or say, say something else. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if you're going to be up till midnight, I mean, Jesus. You might as well just, you know, take a trip to the store. Go, going to the store is fun, you know. Anyway, uh, yeah, this is Talk Attack, this podcast. We do this every Tuesday. We already did the extra, so it was about how tall is too tall. 
and we talked about you know the John Barnes situation. How tall is too tall? I'll let you guys figure that out when you listen to it. Uh, remember to follow us on Spotify, on SoundCloud. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, remember to subscribe. It's free. And uh, leave a five-star review and we'll read on next week's show. Half Hope, where can people find you? At Half Hope Hots on Twitter. Carl, where can people get you? Anchorman616. Thought you were going to shout out The Athletic, but all right. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm at Daniel to look. At Daniel to look. And yeah, talking to this podcast, sometimes funny. Sometimes serious. Always football. Indeed. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. Peace. Boom. Sports Social Podcast Network.